0: You're listening to the Howl and Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Howl. Howdy. And this week, we're going to talk about the hard parts of teaching seven-year-olds in a hagwon in South Korea. So stay tuned. All right, and as always, we'd like to remind you guys that you can go to our website, howlandsteveenglish.com, and pick up a ton of really great ESL teaching resources on our blog for free. Um, I think recently, Hal's still continuing making his intermediate-level travel conversation book. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I've got uh, maybe five more lessons to go, and then um, I'm going to start doing a series on uh, teaching tips.
0: Great, yeah. So you can go to our site, and on the blog section, you'll be able to find... Um, PDFs that you can preview and get some good ideas from and some video resources as well that you can show your students to get them uh, warmed up Well, class. Yeah. And they can download uh, this series
1: for free. So I wanted uh, them to have some, yeah, get a preview of what our conversations, lessons are like. So this whole uh travel
0: conversation series I put up there for free so yeah definitely go to how and check out our blog and then as always if you join our monthly membership we'll uh, you'll have access to over a thousand resources in our library for nine ninety nine a month first month free because we're really cool uh, your contributions help us make more awesome stuff all right how seven-year-old students at an English Academy yeah, what's
1: the what's the deal? Why why is that the magic number seven?
0: Well, just uh, recently, at our branch in Yeoncheon for folks who are new to this program, um, How and I run English academies, and one of our locations is in the countryside in South Korea, up north next to the DMZ, or right around the DMZ, and. In general, English academies in South Korea have a huge variety of programs and a huge variety of methods and a ton of different things going on. And they have a bunch of different types of clientele. So they'll have high school students who just need to cram for tests, middle school students who need to both cram for their middle school tests and prepare for their university entrance exams, and then typically elementary students who are, until third grade, there, just for fun, as the moms would say. And then after that, typically preparing for middle school. And so the market for somebody younger than first or second grade is actually really strange. Typically, they would go to an English kindergarten if they want English education, which is usually an all day, uh, an all morning and early afternoon program that's done completely in English. And the kids end up being pretty fluent when they leave there and we've had plenty of guests on the show tell us about their experiences teaching at English kindergartens but there's also just your run-of-the-mill academy your run-of-the-mill hagwon in South Korea that accepts seven years old seven-year-old students either in special one-hour-a-day programs or just enroll them into the regular elementary school programs that is what I want to talk about today because seven-year-old students enrolled in a regular elementary school program uh, presents a lot of problems both for how the student's going to progress and the parent of that seven-year-old typically doesn't really understand what their child's going to be able to achieve and in the end from what i've talked to with a lot of hogwan owning peers it always ends up being a really tricky if not negative scenario at the end between the students, the moms and the academies and the teachers. So I think that's really important to kind of dive into because it's such a niche topic, but it actually does cause a lot of headaches.
1: So what, what is the age for kindergarten students in general? What is the age range?
0: Well, it's pretty wild. So the age range is pretty broad from what I've heard. Um, you know, we've had plenty of friends that work at kindergartens, and we've had plenty of people on the show who work at kindergartens. And for English kindergartens in general, it seems that the ages range between Korean age five and seven, which I assume could be Korean or American or Western age four to six. Okay. And I've talked to a lot of people, and you guys might remember some of our previous guests. And. It's kind of just by sheer force of will and time spent in these immersive English environments that the students become really good at English. So they really grind them through the programs. They really, they really have the kids really studying at a young age in a very intense way. And everything's completely in English. So time combined with just pure you know, grinding gets these kids to be pretty great.
1: Yeah, and they're geared for it at that age too, right? They absorb
0: like it, crazy. Exactly, exactly. And so that's kind of the the preconception that parents would have when they hear the term English and kindergarten together. So
1: uh, okay, I get it. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of you're always gonna be fighting against that. Even if you educate your customers, your parents And if you're just a teacher and you don't own an academy, even if you think your parents are well-educated, you might find when you're just teaching class, some of your younger students, your seven-year-olds, maybe even your eight-year-old students kind of drop out unexpectedly after six months or a year or a year and a half. Because the mom expected the kids to be fluent like a child who goes five hours a day every day for two or three years to an English kindergarten but their kid's not fluent because he only comes to your academy or your class for one or two hours a day. Um, you know, three to six hours a week. And so even if you educate your parents and you, you tell them and you give them caveats about how this is not the way our program designed. If you want that, go to the $1,500 per month, English kindergarten, go to the $2,000 per month, English kindergarten. It, it never really, it never really gets into their brain that that's, You know, that's a misconception that they have about English education. They still, at the end of the day, kind of... They compare their kids to each other. And so they compare you and your program to the five-hour-a-day program. And so that just is a lot... That's probably the biggest source of tension and problems between um, teachers or academy owners and parents and their seven-year-old kids, I would think. Okay, so...
1: At your academy there in Yunchun you you accept these seven year olds and you put them in a class with um, first and first graders maybe first and second graders and and you don't have any big problems there you just have the big problem is the misconception with uh, with the parents
0: Definitely so that's the biggest problem I think that's definitely the biggest problem at least when we talk to other study room owners or academy owners when you bring up the topic of successful kindergarten classes from what i've heard and what i've read and what i've what i've uh, talked about with other folks is the best they can do is like a once a week program with young children hoping that those children um convert into long term kindergarten or long term elementary students when they get old enough. And you and I have mm-hmm. done that too, and the conversion right. rate is pretty low, is about about 20% or 30% of those kids actually enrolled in our program and they went somewhere else actually afterwards because well, maybe they decided since their kid wasn't fluent after one once a week, our program wasn't as good obviously. It's just it sounds kind of astonishing to dissect it like that, but it's true. Like there's there's just this weird misconception that they can't escape about the kids being compared to full-time English kindergartners and why is my kid not fluent why can't my kid write well it's it's very strange so yeah like you you brought up the English Academy um the second branch in Yunchun. so there we started with just a purely kindergarten class that was for six to seven year old students who wanted to be exposed to English but didn't want to develop writing skills Or phonics. So we set an expectation with parents that we would be focusing mostly on just exposure and mostly on just trying to get their vocabulary and their speaking skills up, 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 right? And we used a pre A1 curriculum, but really the parents loved it for the first six months. And then after six months, even though I thought we had educated these parents really well on what they should expect with their kids. The same conversations kept popping up. Oh, I don't see my kid's progress. Oh, my kid can't read. You know, things like that, which we tried to educate them about beforehand. The expectation wasn't that their six or seven-year-old who can't write in Korean would be able to write in English, um, especially for a a three-hour-a-week program, which is what we were. And so our retention rate on that was absolutely horrible. We retained three out of... Seven children from that semester. The rest left because right. they were unhappy. Now, according to the level tests in our EFR books, the kids were doing really great. So the kids were pre-A1 level, but they responded better than all of our middle school students who we've been receiving because, you know, it's the countryside. The students' abilities are really low, but these kindergarten students were doing really well, but the parents didn't really care because no matter how much we tried to explain to them, it went over their head that their kid's not going to be like an all-day kindergarten student. And so we decided that, we we took a hard look and we decided a lot of the phone calls with parents and a lot of the child management was centered around these six and seven-year-olds in their kindergarten program. Those are the people that called and like, you know, wasted our time worrying about their child's progress. And without getting into talking about the customer persona because that's also really important. What type of parent sends their kid to an English academy at six or seven years old? That's an interesting type of person. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and in other cities, that's typically like very wealthy people. But if you're not in some of these very large cities, the people who end up sending their kids to English kindergartners or English kindergartens are not very wealthy by comparison and therefore might not really have experience Exposure to education because education in Korea is really based on what you can afford to get into. So the parents themselves might not know how to learn English. So they have misconceptions about how to learn English. That can't right. really be broken because they're old. But anyway, um our, we decided after that, you know what, no more six year olds for sure. And we're just gonna carry these seven year olds over into normal elementary classes so we're just going to enroll we, we won't enroll six-year-olds anymore because we they're hard to manage our parents aren't really academically focused so they're not the type of parents who would be okay with us having their kids sit in a chair and write so they wanted their kids to achieve writing output but they didn't want to use the method that would achieve that again the attitude behavior gap thing they wanted their kid to be as good as the kids at the full day English kindergarten, but they didn't want to do the methods to achieve that. Um, but even then, so we made a rule, no more six-year-olds. We put our seven-year-olds into regular elementary programs, but still our retention rate on that's still fairly low. Um, we received only a few this past year and 50% of them left. And the conversations and the phone calls were identical to every conversation or phone call that I've ever had with a six-year-old or seven-year-old's parent. Complaints about progress, even though every method that we would use, every the, for example, Cambridge exams, Cambridge uh, pre-A1 exams, shows that these kids are really ahead of the curve. So we would use practice Cambridge starters exams. And the kids would be doing really well, but these parents would still complain because um, they would compare their kids against a fifth grader or a sixth grader or most often against somebody else's kid who was also seven years old that went to an English kindergarten. So um, that's just like the latest thing up there. And those are the solutions we put in place. But probably we're going to not accept seven-year-olds at all anymore because still those parents consume so much of our time.
1: Right. And so there's no general way these parents are measuring their seven-year-old's progress. They're just... I mean, because obviously those kids, that age group, they don't go to school and take an English test, right? So... Where are these moms getting this information that their children aren't good at English?
0: That's a great point. And kind of like what we talked about last time, especially in Korea, being so focused on shame and face. Basically, they compare their kids to other kids or they can they have adults uh, analyze their kids ability. So, for example, most recently. Well, I guess I should go back. And those are really dumb methods because any kid is going to be shy. I'm a Korean student. I'm studying Korean. I'm embarrassed to, you know, be put on the spot and speak Korean. What kindergarten kid is going to want to be put on the spot and speak English in front of strangers? And that, like, if you talk to academy owners or study room owners, you will hear crazy stories about a student quitting here or there because, well, I went I went up to a foreigner. My kid couldn't say anything to him, so we're quitting and i think anybody's natural reaction would be your kid's shy kids are shy that of course why why is this even why is this even a conversation this is ridiculous this conversation i'm having with you mr so and so's parent but that's truly basically how a lot of these children are analyzed by their parents so most recently i had a kid who went to a korean run daycare and again on the previous shows we discussed you know education in korea you know wrote memorization and so just some random daycare lady who couldn't speak english at all or didn't know anything about english i think presented this the child with like i don't know some images and how i'm sure i'm sure you can imagine the scenario like some lady probably just memorized some sentences from a tv show or something and then presented it to the kids and because the kid didn't say it perfectly or was too shy to say it perfectly they said oh he's bad at English and the mom lost face because the mom was there also and the mom lost face because well I sent my kid to an English academy and I was really proud of his English ability but right now in front of everybody he's not speaking and her natural reaction would be to blame somebody else because that's what happens when you lose face it's so instead of thinking the kid's shy instead of thinking well this is bogus there's a there's a fella who's a from the United States with several university degrees down the street with uh, a Korean wife with you know university degrees teaching. She trusted the daycare center worker because she lost face in that scenario. So something had to be done. And so that's the most recent story of somebody who quit. Uh, the kid didn't do something Englishy at the daycare center. And so <laughs> the child quit. Okay. So,
1: that's the that's the final conclusion, though, right? You guys take the seven-year-olds. Or are you going to stop even taking them? Is it's, it?
0: Well, the motivation behind taking any student is to help them be good at English. And it's to help them, you know, achieve some type of English proficiency. And, you know, maybe now it's time to talk about the type of persona that sends their kid to, you know english kindergartens but our solution now is this: this market the six seven year old kindergarten market really helped us out when we first opened up because there is always going to be a motivate there are always going to be motivated customers who want their kids to have a leg up on the competition because korea is super competitive and they want their kid to be really good at english and they can't send them to the full day kindergarten so they're going to full day english kindergarten so they're going to send them to you And so there's always going to be a market for that. So if you open up an academy or study room, you're going to be able to get, you know, an extra grand or two a month in income just from that demographic. The problem is they quit. Um, You know, when they get into elementary school, you don't convert them at a very high rate unless you do have that full day English kindergarten. You don't really convert those kids at a super high rate into long term elementary school students because... For a variety kids learn at different rates, even though parents here don't want to admit it. So maybe the parents will be dissatisfied that their kids not as good as the top English kindergartner in your class. So instead of thinking, you know, kids learn at different rates, they think, well, well, I'm just gonna leave and try out a different academy. Um and I think I lost my train of thought, but anyway. There's Yeah. yeah, I think At the beginning, you accept these customers, but they leave anyway in the long run because they're just very worried and they're stressed and they're worried about their kids' progress all the time and they're never confident. And so if you get a sustainable income from elementary, just normal elementary students, there's no reason to put up with, like, the headache of seven-year-olds in your academy. Right. Um, Yeah,
1: and I... You go ahead.
0: I was just going to say one more thing. And, you know, for teachers out there that are at academies or for uh, even public school teachers that have to teach a strange after school program for seven year olds, like we did at the library program, Uh, we taught kindergarten students at the library program. It really is an extremely stressful thing to do because typically the class is oversized, so you have too many students. Typically, the kids are just you can tell you can tell that your academy director is just trying to make money because he noticed that a lot of seven-year-old parents or parents of seven-year-olds want to get their kids into english academy so unless it's a full day elementary program like those one hour or a day classes or six hour week classes like are just filled with a bunch of kids that weren't properly level tested that don't really you know don't really have the right uh Learning habits yet to be in the class, and like you're stuck there teaching them. And I think me and you have both been in that situation, as you know, at public school and privately at other people's academies, where it's just like this is hell. This is my worst class. I can't. I the kids don't have the right books, and they're not even well trained. But the the academy director just kind of sitting in the background, rubbing his hands together, licking, (laughs) licking his lips, thinking about the money he's making from it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I
1: like that imagery. Looking the lips, <laughs> rubbing the hands there.
0: Dude, <laughs> I'm sure they actually do it. I'm sure they're in the back office just watching that CCTV, watching a struggle, but just counting each individual head in that class. as a $200, 300 bill.
1: I got to say, yeah, some shi stuff goes down, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, the market's infamous for it, right? Yeah. But I just add to that... um, also for our listeners that that teach uh, the little the little ones that age and also kind of loosely related to what you talked about and I and I googled this because I don't know the terminology but I googled teaching other subjects in English and it gave me C L I L yeah but that's this immersive environment right yeah. Which you talked about with the kindergarten schools, like the all-day or half-day programs. Yeah. And that's another way this gets lost in the mix because I've taught at these hagwans and in these programs, and they're like, yeah, art class in English or science class in English, and it's like one hour a week. <laughs> the parents know about that immersive kindergarten program fluency thing And I think they confuse that in their head and they expect like actual progress. Whereas if you're talking about a one hour a week program doing fun, you know, art, English, it's all about exposure for these kids. I mean, it's extremely valuable in my mind, but it is not connected to fluency in any way. So, but I've, I've, I've taught those programs and they're, you know, and the hagwon owner or whoever is like, okay, they got to learn these 10 science words in today's English science class. And it's like, you guys realize that these 10 science words mean nothing to this kid. And they're not going to remember random 300 science words at the end of the year. It's not going to... They completely miss the point. I mean... Those kind of classes, I think, are great. Like I said, for exposure. But I think that's another related misconception that that people should, teachers should be aware of, and
0: I think mixes into what you talked about. Dude, I love your stories of the shiesty programs that you've taught at. Where and, and you know anybody who's thinking about coming abroad to teach or anybody that's currently here, it's like not only. Does everybody mislabel their courses in attempt to, you know, wow parents? But the parents themselves kind of fight you whenever you try to educate them on it. So we've we've really desperately tried to educate our parents, and I think something that me and you always talk about are the speech contest videos, where you've mentioned and I've done the same thing. They'll come to you to write the speech for their or. Typically, the Korean teacher will write a speech for a kid, come to me to double-check it, um, which is always confusing, so I don't know if they want it grammatically correct or they want me to just rewrite it all as if an American kid did it, because none of it it sounds like a Google Translate whenever they show it to me, and then they give it back to the kid to memorize, and then record the kid, and it's just awful. I was watching one the other day, hi, my uh, name uh, is, you know, if the kid actually knew that structure, he'd say, oh, hi, my name is Bob. Hi, my name is Ben. He'd say it quickly. He wouldn't (laughs) say it as if he's reading off a blackboard in his mind. And so, but the parents do fight you. The parents, when you try to educate the parents, um, and, you know, that's kind of the bane of our existence. uh, Just trying to re-educate parents because there's so much misinformation out there about what English education is. So, you know, telling them that this once a week art class is actually a scam. Doesn't really, it doesn't phase them. Kind of like when I tell them what to expect from my English kindergarten class, it just doesn't enter their brain, actually. They just, like, no, no, my kid should be fluent like a full-day kindergarten. And like you said, oh, no, 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 my kid should be learn 100 science words just like the full-time kindergarten. So it's yeah. kind of a lose-lose. And I was thinking also something really important that you really can't say in Asia is that kids learn at different rates. And it's totally okay that they do. Uh, yeah. That's impossible to say to a parent here.
1: Well, and you say they learn at different rates. Um, and this is one of my, one of a thing I admire about the American education system is um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of a long history of research there, so there's a lot of information, especially on the in the psychological aspect. But not only do they learn at different lengths, there's different types of learners, right? Yeah. So we've got this idea of like visual learners or hands on learners, like kids are just different. <laughs> and I think that's just a completely foreign concept here. Like I've tried that a few times to explain to the parents like hey your your kid's not stupid they're just different they 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 learn in a different way and i and they're great but you know their but their vision is kind of narrow in that sense they can't really catch what i'm saying
0: yeah, and it sounds really reductionist to say, but a lot of those big cultural differences do kind of illuminate why the parents are the way they are. So last week we talked about collectivism. Um, they don't really at any school really. They don't have you know beginner math, intermediate math, and advanced math for different level of students. They're all in the class together. Um, from what I've heard. You know, I don't know if things are changing now, but that's just the way it's always been. And we talked about shame culture and we talked about, you know, uh, low context cultures or high context cultures. It's just like the parents cannot endure the fact that their kid is any different than the other kids in class or won't be as quick as the other students in class. So in my experience, that's a no, no. You can't, you can't have a conversation with a parent like about that. We, we uh, yeah. do, yeah. you know, we do kind of, well, we do have parents that are kind of like in the know. They're like, yeah, my kid's a bit slow and that's awesome. Whenever you have a parent like that. Um, so it's not in a completely gray painted picture of just, you know, mindless doctrine of, oh, everybody needs to be the same level. Everyone needs to progress at the same time. But in general, you can't really tell a mom, you know what, this kid wasn't able to do this worksheet today or wasn't able to complete his test today, and that's okay. He'll get it because we're going to be hitting this with a few different methods and in a few different units over the next year. I would never say that to a parent because they're going to quit. So, you know a lot of that's why a lot of kids just focus on or a lot of schools just focus on memorization as well like not only is rote memorization the way that they've just done it here for a while but because the parents just really can't accept that the kids learn at different rates and in different ways that's another white reason why like you mentioned the other week you are uh, some fella at an academy you worked at did the entire science craft project by himself and then just took a picture of the kids holding it in order to show it off to the parents because well, if Jimmy put a leg where the arm's supposed to be, I'm quitting.
1: Oh, that was horrible. It was horrible.
0: There's, um... <laughs> if
1: you care about children in any sense, just watching a classroom with a six-year-old sitting at the desk, <laughs> watching some guy do all their science projects, and then being like confused but excited when they get to do the selfies with their science project at the end
0: insanity Insanity. yeah and and it's it's just really weird too because i think if the parents you the parents never know the parents never ask the right questions the parents never know they never ask the right questions and um i guess another reason why the seven-year-old market's really rough is you know the parents obviously i've mentioned that a lot but you have to think about the you know, the persona of the person who would be interested in English kindergarten. Yeah. Um, And we've talked to a lot of people on the show and, you know, a lot of our friends work there. We have, you know, I have a handful of friends that currently work at English kindergartens and, you know, we always say Korean society is really stratified and it's really interesting to see that it's really regionally stratified too. So, uh, wealth is centered in the cities, and then it gets like really, really progressively more uh, or less wealthy and less affluent the farther out of the city you go. And I don't feel like it's that way back home. Every city typically has a hospital. Every tip city typically has some doctors. There's always a you know high earners, middle class owners, and working class owners in every city in the states. But here in the countryside, it's like when you get there, it's either uh impoverished or working class earners exclusively you know for example my wife gave birth to our daughter and we had to drive 40 minutes not 40 minutes uh, 40 kilometers away because there's no hospital to give birth at around us and if we did go to any of the local clinics it was it would be so horrible to go there like they're their medical devices that they use and the expertise of the people in there would be so bad that it would actually be risky to give birth in there. Whereas in the United States, we'd just be like, oh no, I like the other hospital because well, they got cool stuff there. Or like "Oh, the, the birthing route suite is nicer. <laughs> As opposed to yeah, you know. yeah. Well, any, anyway, so in the cities, it seems like all it, no matter where you are, the parents are demanding but in the cities, the parents have are wealthy, so what does that wealth mean? That wealth means they've bought their way into really good uh, educational institutes, so they or they've been abroad, so they do have exposure to the modern methods of language education in the that, countryside. Yeah, wh- not so much.
1: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong because I so I get the, the country city dichotomy, but what really blows my mind is I think you can even say these hubs. These apartment hubs, because I, because I get in the US, we compare cars, right? If you've got a Lexus, you're rich, you're in this class or whatever. But here, it's like, what apartment do you live in? <laughs> and you could probably make a connection on education there as well, like just what, uh, just what apartment you live in, and it's it's crazy, the this apartment system they have here.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because again, not to sound like the I don't know, people might mistake what I'm saying as very culturally insensitive, but I've lived in, you know, 12 different cities in the states, you know. I was born in the Bronx, so that's a pretty poor place. It's a really that's a really poor, you know, urban center. I've lived in other poor countryside or cities in the country. I've lived in really small towns, really big towns, but you know, everybody pretty much agreed about fundamental aspects of education, fundamental aspects of, you know, science and life. Like there might be some ridiculous big issues like climate change and like the earth being ten thousand years old, which sounds ridiculous. But besides that, like there really wasn't such a huge difference between anybody. It would just be like, oh, that guy's rich, he has a boat and a second house. But it really didn't affect my interactions with anybody. Mm-hmm. But as we often discuss, like, it's extremely stratified. So, like, um, the kids, you know, you can't marry into this family because their dad doesn't also own a Mercedes, which that's a fact. I have heard that story. So my wife has told me that story. But in any case, so, you know, it's kind of a shame because a lot of our motivation is to help out people as teachers, but it seems like the people that would need the most help are actually kind of the meanest in those environments. So I find the seven-year-old parents in the super countryside town to be meaner than the the parents in our other city, where we have our other location. And it sounds like uh, parents in the cities, at the kindergartens in the city, are also very demanding, but in different ways. And yep. it might be apples and oranges, but I definitely think it sounds better than just kind of the the really weird way we're compared or treated up there in the countryside. Yeah. So, a few rants, all told. <laughs> I, but I guess, like, the, the big summation is, though, just for teachers out there, like, in my opinion, I'm just really – you know, with, with teachers who are stuck in those really crappy academy kindergarten classes and they don't know why they're teaching it, and it's kind of hellish and it's hard to manage and they don't really understand the point. Well, now you do. There's just a lot of parents yeah. of seven-year-olds who want to send their kids to English academies but don't or can't afford to uh, send them to the really expensive ones. So that's why your academy owner is throwing 12 or 13 kids into your classroom that only has nine chairs. And again just rub them hands together and count them dollars.
1: And throwing those five year olds at you.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, five the illegal the illegal age yep. to have it in an academy. Yeah, you're not crazy. <laughs> yeah, teachers out there, you're not crazy. And then for anybody thinking about opening up a study room or a hogwan, I really do recommend that you teach seven year olds. Um you know, try to get them to pay, uh, into as many hours per week as possible. Because when a new study room or Hagwon opens up and they think that it's not a name brand. So they imagine that it's an, an independent company. They imagine, hmm, they probably want to get customers as soon as possible. I'm going to negotiate with them. And at every branch that we've ever opened up, their moms call up and they say, you know what? How about just once a week class from you guys? They want to get once a week native speaker class for their seven year old child or for their, you know, elementary age kids or middle school age kids, but still send their kids to the other academy, which means, well, I don't want to pay you that much. And I don't believe in you that much, which just means that customer is going to quit because if they don't mm-hmm. trust you. You know what's going to happen when their child only comes to you once a week, nothing. And so the parents are all about progress and they're going to quit eventually, but Get as many hours as you can out of them a week. Try your hardest to show progress, but definitely plan to replace those seven-year-old classes with full-time elementary classes because the retention rate on them is very low. I've The only person I know that has a good retention rate on eleme- or in kindergarten students are either owners of full-time kindergarten classes or a gentleman I know that does once a week weekend classes. But I, I'm not sure if the conversion rate on any of those is that high. I'm not sure if they convert into the elementary program at a high uh, at a high enough rate. Because the other people I know who have had those once a week classes or or just regular kindergarten classes don't convert them into regular classes that well.
1: Yeah, man, that's a wild market. That's
0: wild. I, uh... Was I too ranty today? Was my podcast too ranty? Then,
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. We're still. I think we're still good on time here. I think good time to close it out, though.
0: Yeah. Well, to our listeners, uh, I guess thanks for tuning in. We try to mix it up for you guys. We try to cover a lot of, you know, just in the classroom topics. We try to cover a lot of curriculum topics. We try to cover some classroom behavior topics but we saw a big response from you guys about owning your own academies and owning your own study rooms um whether you're in china or vietnam or korea um also some some folks in japan apparently thanks for listening japan is our second or third uh most popular place according to our downloads list but if you guys would like to hear anything else or you have any questions please reach out to us at steve at howland steve com. um uh, would be more than happy to answer just off-the-cuff questions you have or do a show about a particular problem that you have. If you want to be a guest, too, we'd always love to have people on.
1: Yeah, if there's anyone um, listening, teaching in Japan, uh, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about this whole kerfuffle between Japan and Korea right now and some of the differences in the classroom as well.
0: All right, that's on you guys, uh, ESL teachers in Japan. Get in touch. All right, see you guys. See you.